This ad is in partnership with HBO. The three finalists for the 2020 HBO APA Visionaries short film competition have been announced. HBO Visionaries is celebrating its fourth class of emerging Asian and Pacific Islander American filmmakers, and all three Visionary 22 shorts are available to stream on HBO Max. Find more information about the program and official rules on www.hbovisionaries.com and keep an eye out for the opening of submissions for the 2021 competition and the opportunity to have your short film considered for HBO and HBO Max. I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is our seventh season, and this semester we're looking at Asian American interracial cinema. We've talked about a lot of the tensions and a lot of the tragedies. But they don't all have to be documentaries about historical traumas. So this episode, we're going into the 90s with style. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about the 1997 film Fakin' the Funk by Tim Che, starring Dante Bosco. But not only Dante Bosco. (laughs) This is a really star-studded film for a first-time feature. Yeah, there's Pam Greer, Ernie Hudson, Tatiana Ali, Yes, John Witherspoon, Bo Jackson has a cameo in this. On the supporting Asian cast side, (laughs) there's Margaret Cho, Kelly Hu. This is pretty stacked. Pretty good for an Asian American filmmaker in the 90s. (laughs) Tim Che is actually a pretty prolific filmmaker. Recently, he's been making a lot of films with religious themes. And Fake in the Funk starts in a church, in a black church. Sure does. And how quickly it announces the primary tension of this movie, (laughs) which is that in this black church, in the choir, you quickly notice there's an Asian dude in there. It's Dante Bosco. I think in the 90s, it's very possible people were like, yes, it's an Asian dude in the middle of a lot of black people. Um, I think in 2020, when they start calling him Chinese, you're like, I'm pretty sure he's Filipino. (laughs) Let's just say for... (laughs) I don't know where to begin with this. This movie is wild, whack, and kind of hilarious, too. Like, I actually had a decently good time watching it. Yeah. Even though I cringed constantly. <laughs> I think when I watched it and I was talking to you about it, I was like, I think it's worth talking about, even though there's so much wrong with it. <laughs> I think you were just basically saying, like, if you don't want to include this movie in the season, I get it. You would be fine with it. Yeah, yeah. But I thought there was stuff worth talking about. And I think once you watched it, you thought the same, right? Totally. And I agree with you. I think it's ultimately kind of fun. Yeah. And it's a great movie about interracial Asian American stories. <laughs> All right. So, so we, have, we should just say what this is about. Just to get this out of the way. Right. Okay. So faking the funk. I think technically he's not faking the funk. <laughs> Isn't that the premise of the movie? <laughs> I don't know why the title of the movie is faking the funk. But yeah, why don't you explain? So I actually love the misunderstanding that sparks this all, um, which is that black people and Chinese people both have the last name Lee 
as do Korean people. As do Korean people. And so... I don't think they know that Chinese and Koreans and Filipinos exist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So one day, a, you know, a black couple played by Pam Greer, Ernie Hudson, they want to adopt a black baby. But there was some kind of mix-up and they ended up with a Chinese baby. And Pam Greer was like, yeah, you know, we could we could love a Chinese baby too. And what does what does the father say? <laughs> what, what, what does he say? That's not what we ordered. Now this is not the baby we ordered. <laughs> That's not what we ordered. It was like, do we have to make Chinese food? Do we have to use chopsticks now? So like that's the kind of that's the level of comedy we're working with here. Yeah, yeah, that's the level of political correctness slash incorrectness. <laughs> and so that kid, that baby grows up, it becomes a teenager. Actually, when the kid is young, I think he's played by a East Asian American young actor. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't turn into Rufio until his teenage years. <laughs> and then, like the really interesting to me um, relationship in the film is between. Dante Bosco's character, whose name is Julian, and his brother. Yeah. So he has a brother named Perry, who is the biological son of Pam Greer and Ernie Hudson's characters. So yeah, it's a family with two brothers, one Asian and one black. And then um, they're in Atlanta, but one day they move to Los Angeles. And basically they make it seem like this is the Los Angeles of Boys in the Hood. And whereas in Atlanta, Julian grew up in a community that understood, you know, like he is an Asian adoptee. In LA, they don't understand what's going on. <laughs> like, what, what, what is this guy doing in South Central? And that creates kind of a, a weird tension with his brother, Perry, who starts to befriend a lot of the black neighbors and kind of resents the fact that he has this like embarrassing situation where this Asian guy is his brother. And then enter Margaret Cho and Kelly Hu and Amy Hill. Oh, yeah, Amy Hill. I forgot about Amy Hill. So there's a secondary story where they're like Chinese exchange students. Yeah. Coming to America for the first time for school. And they're also dropped in the middle of South Central, possibly by accident. It's Kelly Hu and Margaret Cho. Their driver is Amy Hill. Kelly Hu is wearing a cheap <laughs> <laughs> traditional Chinese dress. Um, Margaret Cho, she's often wearing like a t-shirt with the word San Francisco or (laughs) like an American city on it and a baseball cap. And I remember thinking like Kelly Hu's outfit is not that authentic to me, but the Margaret Cho outfit is fairly authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a nice detail. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess it's like the juxtaposition of a Chinese American kid, Julian, who is very comfortable with the black community, but is treated like an outsider. And then these actual outsiders coming in and being confused in a different way. <laughs> well, so much confusion. And, and the other the interesting thing about this Julian character is that he's culturally black. Like, and he has no problem saying that. I mean, he grew up in a black family, grew up in a black neighborhood. So he, you know, like he talks and dresses like culturally black. And in LA, they're like, no, no, no. Like, don't do this. Like, we, we don't know what you're doing here. And that becomes a tension. Like, how can he be himself, which is culturally black, but be aware of the fact that, you know, he presents in a certain way. And it creates the kind of, like, internal tension that keeps him from having a proper romantic relationship with the Tatiana Ali character, who, weirdly enough, is really into Japanese stuff. <laughs> so we have all the elements of this, like, ragtag, ridiculous cultural stew. And this is definitely part of a 
trend that you see in the 90s. A lot of like mixing together of different cultural elements and often using like culinary metaphors. So like um, last week we revisited Mississippi Masala. That was from this decade too. And I think our first season for comedy, we talked about catfish and black bean sauce, which is also about Asian characters who are adopted by a black family. But I feel like of all these films, this is the one that goes furthest in testing to what extent an Asian American can be black. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's worth saying that um, Dante Bosco, who we know from Hook, also came up in the 90s. And he's talked about this in interviews where the trajectory of his career probably didn't allow him to be cast in a lot of the white sitcoms. So he actually came up doing a lot of the black sitcoms like he was in Moesha. I was looking like before this movie, he did cameos on Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I think he was on Touched by an Angel. Yeah. And Dante Bosco just kind of talks how he usually talks in this film. He's not putting on any particular accent. Yo, man, you speaking in English? Does it look like I can't, homie? Oh, shit, boy, got a little bit of flavor. Check it out. Right, right. I think it would be going too far to say he's playing up his blackness. Yeah. But think, yeah, but you're right. I think it has something to do with his own stardom. And I mean, even his character, even Rufio in Hook, I mean, he's not playing a black character, but he sort of represents kids who are marginalized, you know, are misunderstood. He, he's never been the model minority Asian-American. Yeah, we can put it that way. He was also known within the Asian American community, especially the Filipino American community, as you know, like part of a R&B family. <laughs> you know, they break dance, they sing. So I kind of buy it in this film. Dante Bosco playing up blackness in the film is much more watchable than Margaret Cho playing up Chineseness in this movie. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. And that kind of summarizes this movie. This movie does way better talking about black neighborhoods and families than it does with anything related to Asian people. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think that was part of why I felt comfortable bringing this movie into our quote-unquote classroom. Like, if I think there was anything that was super offensive to black people, I'm, I mean, it's not that we couldn't talk about it, but it would be in a different way, right? It would be in a way where we called stuff out. And there's definitely stuff to call out in this movie. But I think most of the stuff you cringe at is the stuff about Asian Americans and Chinese people. And you're just like, what? Where are you getting that from? So so okay, let's start with Margaret Cho's accents. Because <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Cho has made a career doing accents. Like, she's one of those comics who's really adept at playing her Korean mom. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, voicing a Korean mom. Yeah. And she's so good at, like, having this critical bent to it like this is the accent that has both love and critique in it mm-hmm. so it's so loaded with kind of like how she sees the world but none of that is it none of that is that way <laughs> i'm sorry i don't have american so you keep hoping that margaret cho is going to do something clever with that accent and none of that happens yeah and poor kelly who doesn't even get to do an accent she has to straight up speak mandarin <laughs> Not great Mandarin, right? <laughs> Kelly Hu has to do stuff like, like I think she brought a Chow Young Fat poster. <laughs> do you remember that? They talk about Chow Young Fat, yeah, yeah. And I was like, does that make sense? I guess that could make sense. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So there's also like stuff that 
makes you cringe, but I wonder if that's actually like a good critique of Asian Americans. Like you mentioned Boys in the Hood. There's a scene where the Chinese people are in the car and they get to South Central and then they freak out because they're like, I've seen Boys in the Hood. Yeah. Let's get out of here. I don't want to die. Shut up, please. Remember Boys in the Hood? We're going to die here. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, in moments like that, Chinese ignorance of the lived humanity of black people in the U.S. is put on display. And they don't try to make it, like, they don't try to defend it or anything. It's like, the Chinese people look come off pretty bad. But then there's also scenes where, like, so Margaret Cho's character finds, like, a host family who's black. With John Witherspoon as the, as the dad in that family. Right, right. And then the sister starts teaching her about American slash black culture. And she's trying to teach her how to strut. That part's fine. But it's just the way that Margaret Cho walks as a quote-unquote Chinese person. I was like, what does this even mean? She walks like she has bound feet. (laughs) I know. I was like, what's going on? There there is also a lot of like making fun like a lot of the black characters make fun of the Chinese characters like the John Witherspoon character goes there's a lot of ching chowing from him a lot of it is sort of like the cringiness of all the bad Asian jokes on the basketball court with the friends right but it's weird knowing that it's an Asian writer writing this for black actors to say about the Asian character yeah so but yeah, but I know. What do we do with that, right? Like, it's in in some ways. Like, I mean, I'll just put this out there. Like, growing up, most of the times that I ever had ching chong stuff thrown at me was on the basketball court, right? ah. and it's usually from black people. So I I wonder if that is something that a Asian American writer director could understand. Like, no, this this is part of the lived reality of what it's like to be Asian American to play pickup basketball. I did not play basketball. Cross country people didn't do a lot of ching chonging. <laughs> There's no trash talking? <laughs> no, not really in cross country. I think I didn't really know what to do with it because I didn't experience that. No, no, I, I watched it and I'm like, that's, I recognize this. <laughs> like it's, it feels accurate. Yeah. Just as the Chinese people's ignorance of the black community, seems, that seemed accurate to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that seems accurate too. But it is weird. Like I didn't know what to do with, because you're being careful in saying that he's culturally black, right? Which I think is true. But like in the film with like 90s sensibility, you have a lot of Dante Bosco telling people that he is black. That's true. He he does go as far as to say he's black. Which confuses Tatiana Ali. (laughs) This is who I am, Karen. And I don't speak Chinese for your information. (laughs) Oh, that's a revelation. Look, either accept me for who I am or don't. Okay, please. You say you're black. Can I ask why? There's no need. Because anything I say is going to go straight to your brain instead of your heart. And it's from your heart, Karen. And she'll accept me. And, and she's confused while she's wearing, like, a, a Japanese costume. Oh, yeah. She's wearing, like, is she, what is she wearing? It's kind of Chipao-esque. I don't I don't. Yeah, know. I thought it was a Chipao, too, but I don't know if that makes no sense. I think we're expecting too much of this movie in terms of accuracy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tatiana Lee is amazing. Yeah, yeah, of course. She's, she's always amazing. I think there is something about, like, it's, we're looking at it as history, right? right. Like, we're looking at it as something in the 90s that we can put in the capsule. <laughs> 
And who knows what people actually felt about it at the time. And I think it could go either way because I think like at the time, if you were making this cross-cultural interracial film about like Chinese people and black people, there probably wasn't a ton of that going on. So I could understand why Margaret Cho and Kelly Hu might have signed on to this. And there's like these amazing actors that they could work with too, you know? And then um, Dante Bosco in a leading role. I totally get how this could potentially have been like barrier breaking at the time. Yeah, and as far as like cringy stuff goes, at least this is still somewhat humanized. I, don't know, I wouldn't go as far as call like Kelly Hu's character that, that humanized. Margaret Cho's character is barely, I, I would say. But like the Dante Bosco character is really, he's actually kind of, he's, his, what he's going through is very interesting. Yeah. And what this family represents within the context of like a black community is very interesting. Yeah, and there's some key melodrama scenes. (laughs) There's a deathbed scene. Yeah. And it's also a movie about adoption, cross-racial adoption. Yeah. It's just the different kind of experience of being adopted into a black family versus a white family, which is that you're like doubly racialized in a way that like you have no, like that you weren't necessarily brought up to understand. Because growing up, you want to be brought up to be part of the family. Uh, But at some point it becomes... A question of how he's going to interact with the rest of the world. Are there any white people in this movie? Fascinating. I don't. I don't think there are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Right, because they go to like Chinese restaurants and Asian restaurants where the waiters are ridiculous. The waiter at the Japanese restaurant is like almost breakfast at Tiffany's esque in this representation. But the Chinese waiter at the Chinese restaurant is super like, cringy, but funny and sort of interesting. Like the kind of Asian on Asian tension that emerges between the Dante Bosco character and then the waiters played by Ron Yuan, who is like, you see, you've seen him in countless movies as stuntman and he gets to like have a funny comedic role here. What the hell's your problem, man? You know, I got to give you props. You got one fine, sweet looking soul sister there. But you need to push up on that, I man. What's up with you? You need to be aggressive, but smooth, like me. <gasps> I didn't realize that was him. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> He's in Mulan now. I don't know if that's a step forward or a step back. (laughs) He's set to direct the 47 Ronin sequel. He's in The Paper Tigers, which is about to hit the film festival circuit, this Asian-American film, and he's great in it. Like I was so excited to see him in a role like this. He's always been comic relief or action comic relief, and now he gets to be an actual comedic action star. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I totally didn't put two and two together just because it was so long ago. (laughs) I know. But he's also kind of like the way he's presented in that scene. It's almost like so caricatured that you wouldn't even recognize him. I mean, it's, it's almost Long Duck Dong-ish. But he's like swaggery, right? Long Duck Dong if he had swagger. But he also has the way that like, Long Duck Dong is also demasculinized, but he's also like really into women. That's kind of how you feel about the Ranyan character here too. Like, this is also the era of postmodernism, and it's, it's probably just trying to undo all of our expectations for everybody. But in doing so, still perpetuating certain types yeah yeah he serves a dish with like chicken anus or something like like that sort of thing. oh like, i forgot about playing that. up to these kind of stereotypes of like chinese food tatiana ali character is like uh is this what i think it is and then dante bosco is like uh it's fine i'm gonna eat it oh he's pretending that he knows about asian culture yeah part of his relationship with her is he sees that she thinks of him as like worldly like her because she's also into other cultures With everyone else, he's kind of himself and being judged for it. Whereas with her, he's trying to play up his Asian-ness. 
And then it's kind of interesting because you see that he doesn't have a lot of Asian background to draw on. <laughs> he literally has to pull out a book, <laughs> like like a how-to Asian book. <laughs> and pretend that he can speak Chinese. Yeah. Lucky for him, she only speaks Japanese. So the usual kind of like cross-cultural misunderstanding hijinks ensue. But it's a, it's a specific combination that we don't often see. To me, this is like kind of more refreshing than Rush Hour, which was one year later. Right. Which is also kind of a Chinese black partnership. A lot of what Chris Tucker plays up is this, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Like that's sort of because he's a foreigner, you can get away with saying ridiculous things in front of him. Whereas something like Faking the Funk has to be a little bit more smart about how these kinds of cross-racial encounters happen, even if, even if they are ludicrous. It's way more aware of what a black character and an Asian character and an Asian character who's adopting a black family, what they might have to go through. Yeah, and I think it's kind of what we've been saying about this season and how we're naming it interracial cinema, but it is about interracial relationships. And this one has a lot of relationships, not just romantic. And you really buy all of them, you know? And I think that's what makes it ultimately moving in the end. You can kind of forgive all of these things because there's these arcs set up and these characters set up and these friendships and romances set up where you feel that they're real people and there's things at stake. It's not just there for a joke. Because the family feels real. Yeah. Like Ernie Hudson, Pam Greer. I mean, they're good in this movie. And they create this sense of because we are such a good family, we understand that Dante Bosco is you know, culturally black. Like that's how they raised him. Yeah. And it's also the religious element is there. Um, so part of it too is... I feel like the fact that Ernie Hudson's character is a preacher, that that also plays into the closeness of this family. Right, right. The ethics they have to take care of each other, to look out for each other. Yeah, so it ends up being a pretty feel-good movie. Also, it's just so weird thinking Pam Greer made this the same year she did Jackie Brown. which <laughs> It's a reminder that a legendary black actress can have a huge comeback, but still not really be having a comeback because she's in fake in the fun. <laughs> Maybe she just believed in the mission so much. Maybe. Yeah, I mean... This is a, quite a cast. I would want to be part of this movie. Tone Loke is in this? He was a first-time director, so it's not like they were coming to work with him because he was an auteur or something. They must have been moved by the storyline or just at least thought it was a different kind of story that hadn't been told. Well, that's for damn sure that it's not that this is a new kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, because could you talk a little bit about like since then? I'm sure you watched a lot of movies being a film festival programmer, some maybe that you programmed and some that you did not about black Asian interracial comedies or romances. Yeah, I feel like that's filmmakers are shying away from that now. I think that there's this feeling that interracial comedy is really hard to do because you're going to say the wrong thing. And for good reason, right? Like it's, it, was there a time where it was a lot more popular? Well, I, I, definitely in this time, like the 90s. And this is the era of multiculturalism. And they kind of make fun of it. Like at one point, they're like, what is this, a Benetton ad? <laughs> I think doing this kind of cross-cultural comedy requires you to play up a certain kind of like cross-cultural racial masquerading. And today where I think we're more conscious, we should be more conscious actually, but like of things like blackface and yellowface. Do you think it's because a lot of them were not writing from personal experience though? Sure. And more just writing because they thought like this would be an interesting story. Are you saying that Brett Ratner does not understand black and Asian relationships in Rush Hour? <laughs> too, but I remember films where there was black and Asian relationships and I didn't watch all of them. So I'm not saying they're all bad. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like I think Catfish and Black Screen Sauce is a great example. I mean, yeah, 
some of it is very cringeworthy, but he's doing this to tell his own story, to tell a story of Vietnamese Americans. Yeah, because I feel like I would argue that if it were people doing it from their own experience, it's worth exploring. It's just more that if it's a token thing, it's not. Yeah, and sometimes it works better than others. So even within this film, you get a sense that the filmmaker has no idea about the Chinese foreign student's experience. And it shows because it's incredibly laughable. But you kind of get the sense that he's familiar with black culture. Or at least like he's going to exercise a little bit more care because this is something he probably cares about. Surely not a perfect movie. And I mean, it's the kind of movie where all of these cross-cultural, cross-racial conundrums, I mean, they often, like the, really the conundrums are sort of like, well, what, what can he do then if he's culturally black but doesn't look the part? Like this movie is resolved by a basketball game. Yeah, <laughs> Just stuff right. like that. You're like, oh God, really? Are we solving every problem with this? But that feels very like 90s genre comedy movie. So you kind of forgive it, I think. A lot of things are solved with that basketball game. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But, you know, it's fine. (laughs) I think also what we're suggesting is like, it's not quite there, but has anybody actually got there? I don't think that's... I think a lot of filmmakers just gave up on this proposition of doing zany comedies about black and Asian relationships and families. It's basically like, you think like during the 90s, it's like, I need to find somebody who can play a Chinese character but seems black. Let's go with the Filipino guy. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, we need a Chinese international student, Margaret Cho. (laughs) So for many years, I think this was only available on VHS. Someone put it on YouTube, which is how we watched it. Yeah, so you can watch it too and tell us what you think. You know, I I rediscovered something that, that I guess I forgot. It's what's on the inside that counts, not what's on the outside. I know that sounds really, really cliche, but... You were discovered that? Yeah, I, I guess it's something you can forget. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Class dismissed. Break it on down, kid. Tell me who's faking. Who's breaking? Who I got shaking? Don't fake, don't front, don't cross. Don't try to test, you get lost in the sauce. Hung out to dry, cause you're not that fly. Knock you in the grill, don't bust you in the eye. It really doesn't matter, cause kid, you don't face me. Get about, bounce, get swayzing. Shake the spot, take your front and ask who one time for your mind, kid. You know how we do when you're front, when you're Kathy, Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots? Because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, No. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So, 
Are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean drama podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?